You're listening to episode 159 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. All right, man. So we're, we're back in business here because the last time we had a show where it was just you and me, many people wrote in to say this was the best show that you guys had ever done. You know, and I feel like takes us back to the very beginning when you're like, why, why isn't the Comics Pals just you and me, Pete? Like, what do we need all these other hangers on for? I don't know. You know, now we're going to find out. Did I say that? <laughs> you how quick we forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean I say a lot of things. Um <laughs> when you talk as much as we do, it's hard to remember it all, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh I, that, that's always my favorite thing is when people will like bring up stuff that we've said on previous episodes and I'm like I have no recollection of that conversation. <laughs> Seriously, it's like it's this show, there's other shows, there's just life. You know, <laughs> you say a lot. You know how much I have to talk in my real life? In Too a, much. In one week, dude, please. Uh, forget it. I barely make it onto this show with a voice. <clears throat> uh, well, as Pete pointed out this week, you are stuck with us as the other three are out there living their lives, although I frankly don't know what lives they have to live. I thought that uh, <laughs> they just stared at a wall until the show every week, like I do. Um, well, no, we got to find some time to read comics, too. That, well, you know, listen, you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you read a comic. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, yeah, I am excited, actually, because there's a lot of things to talk about this week. Uh, Disney Plus is dropping next week if you can believe that oh shit uh, yeah that snuck up on me i should say this friday is is when it's dropping um and so we're gonna be talking a lot about that and then of course we're reviewing uh new mutants number one and x-force number one we're at the point now where we're gonna start to see multiple issues of x-men dropping each week and not just one so i'm really excited for that i should say x-men titles not x-men yeah uh, so really, really exciting stuff on the X-Men front, and we're going to talk about the X-Men more in just a moment, but I want to plug and let you guys know where you can find us all over the place. We are the Comics Pals. Thank you for joining us. You can find us all over the internet at the Comics Pals. Uh, if you want to get us on social media, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever it is that your social media is sold. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Whatever podcast hosting platform you prefer, we will most likely be there. If we're not there, uh, write an angry tweet to at Mr. Marco Animoto, and he'll ignore you. And, of course, we're on YouTube. I think we're rounding out the end of our uh, of our interview content over there. But we've got other content that's going to be rolling out here really soon. So make sure that you subscribe if you haven't. It's a big way to help us out. We really appreciate that. And uh, hit the notification bell so you're made aware of whenever our content drops. All these things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. So hook us up. Now, we got some time. I figured X-Men, you know, really, really exciting time for the X-Men. It inspired me to play a game. Ooh, been a while since we played a game. Yeah, yeah. So, this is how the game is going to go. It's a really simple game. And I'm going to test your knowledge. Oh, no. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to go f- 
alphabetically from A to Z, and for each letter, you have to name an X character. <sighs> okay. All right. But just an X character, right? Like, it could be anybody? It could be anyone that is X X universe related. Okay. So I'm going to do this, and when I fail, you're going to do it and nail it? Is that the, is that the bit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good on the spot. All right. Okay, okay. Let's do it. All right. So do you want me to give you the letter, or are you good? Give me the letter, just right. so that there's some sure. back and forth here, you know? All right. A. Apocalypse. B. Beast. C. Cyclops. D. Uh, I'm ar- D? I'm at D and I'm already blanking? Jesus Christ, man. Oh, Domino. Boom. E. Egg. <laughs> F. <laughs> uh, Franklin Richards. G. Um, my mind immediately went to to gray, and I'm like Gene Gray, but right. that doesn't work. <laughs> gray combo Gene. G E N E. For Lone Wolf's twin. Um. Pass or play. G- oh, all right. Okay. 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 Um. Pass. I guess. I yeah. H. Um. Pass. Pass. I. Okay. Uh. 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 I. I, I don't know. I'm freezing oh up. Oh, my God. Pass or play? Pass, pass. J, J. G. Gray. K. Uh, Kitty Pride. L. Um, Logan. M. Magneto. N. Pass or play? Pass, pass. O. Uh, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Pass. I don't know. This is fucking embarrassing. Wow. P. Uh, uh, Psylocke. Q. Quentin Choir. <laughs> R. Queen, comma, red. <laughs> R. Rasputin. Boom. S. <laughs> I hate myself. I'm like, Psylocke? Cyclops? This just S sounds, brother. Like, come on. <laughs> I, and that's the thing is, I know I'm missing so many easy ones just because I hate games like this. T. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Um, you know what? You know what? Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> All right. Now you you do it. Now you crush it. Go ahead. This this can't work because there's there's certain there's certain letters that letters, I've eliminated. Yeah, now? that are that you just can't even do. Um, it it's too hard with with universe. Uh, Universe specific, like sub universe specific, like sure. you know, wider Marvel universe is pretty free. Uh, but I think when you get when you eliminate l- letters, it gets tough. Uh, I can give it a shot with with Q. I feel like you're definitely gonna like that's the one that I I don't know that there's another option. Yeah, Q Q is pretty tough. Uh, there's a couple others. You want me to give it a go? I'm yeah, gonna, yeah. Okay, all right, here we go. Um, All right, A. Angel. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, Angel, yeah. Yeah, B. Uh, boom, boom. Okay, C. Uh, what's this guy's name? Oh, my God. See, uh, once you're on the spot, it's not so easy in the hot seat. Well, you took Cyclops. <laughs> yeah, no, I got the easy one. <laughs> yeah, Cyclops is easy. Um, uh, I'll pass. Okay. D. Dazzler. Okay. Uh, e. Emma Frost. F. 
Did you give me one for F? I hate Franklin Richards. Oh, yeah, I got one. Phantom X. Okay. Um, G. Glob Herman. H. Havoc. I. Iceman. J. Juggernaut. K. I'm just laughing because you said juggernaut. <laughs> Why? What's wrong with that? Nothing. Just because, like, anytime I think of juggernaut, I just think of the I'm the juggernaut, bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's a 20 year old joke at this point, but I still laugh every fucking time. I hear that. Uh, K. Uh, I got nothing on K. Pass. Okay. Um, L. <laughs> L. Lorna Dane. Okay. M. Magma. N. Nightcrawler. Yeah. Um, O. Omega Red. Uh, P. This is where it gets difficult. Uh, hmm. You know what? Pass. Okay. Uh, Q. Pass. Okay. <laughs> R. Let's see. You said Rasputin. Uh. Hmm. Another RX person. I went for the the deep cut on that one. (laughs) Deep cut? We read about her like two weeks ago. Uh, Pass. Okay. Um, S. Sauron. T. Uh, Thunderbird. U. Oh, you cut me off after this point. I would have gotten some here. <laughs> uh, um, pass. Okay. Uh, v. Victor Creed, Sabretooth. Uh, w. Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, X. Uh, X twenty three. <laughs> that's yeah. That's a good one. That's easy. <laughs> um, why? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Uh, pass. Okay, and then Z. I got nothing for Z. Pass. Okay. So, yeah, so you passed on seven. I think I probably did a little bit more than that. but. Mm. <laughs> and you went it's first. Tough. Yeah, yeah, I knocked out a lot of the easy ones. The unfortunate thing is a lot of the, like, like X-Men that come immediate to your mind, like, there's doubled up. Like, I thought of, like, four for M. Right, right. You know? It's like Magneto, Mystique, Marrow, like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you get to some of the other ones, it's like, man, what X-Men's name starts with a fucking S? I don't know. Did like I pass on R? Oh, my God. That's embarrassing. Rogue. Yeah, but, like, that's the thing is what you don't think about it when you're, like, the clock's ticking, you know? For G, I went for Glob Herbin over Gambit. What is happening? <laughs> It's just, it's just what comes to the brain, you know? I've been wanting to play this game on this show for quite some time, and uh, I wanted to play it with, like, the wider Marvel Universe, and I specifically want to play with Marco, because I want to see <laughs> how far he gets before just total collapse. Oh my god, I can't I can't imagine he, he like, may, maybe he gets, like, a quarter of the letters. <laughs> that's like a hard baby i feel like too yeah yeah because i feel like especially when you add the pressure of the fact that it's a game and you're like uh, 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 like it's easy to forget stuff that you obviously know right like <laughs> yeah absolutely uh fun for me nonetheless my friends and i play this all the time for whatever it's reason. a good game yeah it's uh, like a, it's a very good like 
I'm at a party with a bunch of nerds kind of game. Like, sure. <laughs> uh, speaking of games, let's jump into the pals pulls and start with yours. Life is Strange number 10. What a segue, brother. <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this one? <laughs> yeah, so I've talked about uh, the Life is Strange comic by Titan a couple times now. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I'm a few issues behind because I've kind of transitioned to trade waiting because the book is definitely like tough to find. Um, and I, you know, I got to read it issue to issue. So um, the second volume like is shipping in, I want to say a week. I think it's the... The 19th, so it's actually a little over a week um, by the time you're listening to this. And um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing where the cliffhanger from Volume 1 leaves us. And uh, this is now halfway through Volume 3, which is supposed to ship a few months later. So um, I'm, I'm really enjoying this book. I think if you're a fan of the original Life is Strange, it's definitely uh, worth your time. And because it's a book that I, you know, I, obviously I think it's doing pretty well for Titan, but, uh, you know, I know that. I struggle to find it at my local shops, so you know I, I always want to give it the uh, the shout out when I can, so that you know we get more eyes and ears on it. I want to keep it running. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then I chose Batman's Grave number two. Now, this is a book that got a fair amount of press because of the creative team, which is uh, Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. They've okay. Yeah, they've done. Batman stuff together in the past, and they came back together to uh, to tell this story. Um, and they've done they did the authority like they're you know they're incredible. Um, this book is unbelievably good. Really? Yeah. Uh, the first issue, I went into it not quite sure what to expect. Really, really, really loved it. Uh, Essentially, it's about a murder. It's a murder mystery. Uh, but you see Batman's process when he's in detective mode and specifically dealing with a murder. He sort of immerses himself in uh, the life of the person that was oh, murdered. Oh, man, that sounds and cool. And it, it's, like obs- it's obsessive and weird. And Alfred is worried that... One day, I, you know what? I don't even want to spoil it. Uh, read it. Batman's Grave is fantastic. That sounds cool, man. And that's the kind of Batman story that I really like. Yeah, you know, is like the more psychological and more like noir kind of vibe to it. You know, so the fact that it's like got both of those kind of things in that perfect Venn diagram—that sounds like a Batman book worth checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Well worth any anyone's time, especially right now. You want something a little creepier. Uh, it's it's up your alley. And then the other book I chose was uh, Fallen Angels, number one. If you listen to this podcast, then you know that I am a massive fan of Brian Hill. We had him on the show a few weeks, a few months back at this point. Um, and his work is tremendous. So for me, of all the uh, X-Men titles that are that are coming out, that first wave... Uh, this is the book that I've been most excited for. So we're finally here. I'm so pumped. Uh, I love this this team in terms of you know the actual cast of characters. Uh, by all accounts, it's just three main characters: uh, Psylocke, Cable, and X twenty three. Uh, and it's it's Psylocke, like because in Quanon. case you're not 
Yeah. yeah, if you're not all caught up, it's Kanan and it's the young cable. Yes, yeah, young young cable. Uh old cable was killed by young cable uh, a little bit ago. And X23 hot off the heels of being Wolverine. So, three characters who, you know, find themselves in spaces that are not traditional for them or coming off of something traumatic. So, really exciting uh with art by Simon Kudransky, who I can't think of anything I've ever seen, but uh, if you look at the preview stuff that they've put out, it is beautiful. Yeah, this is another one I've, I've been excited. I mean, I've been interested in all of these X-Books, but this is one of the ones closer to the top of my list because the subject matter is pretty interesting. Like, I know that they're going to kind of deal with Psylocke's, you know, like reclamation of her life and everything, which is uh, a journey I'm excited to, to see play out. Yeah, me too. And if you follow Brian on Twitter, you'll note that he's been very aware of the responsibility that he has to to deal with this character. Uh, and he's ready for the challenge. Him talking about it is what made me interested in it, you know? Because, like, that on its face isn't particularly interesting, right? Because as someone who's liked Psylocke, the character I really liked was you know, uh, Betsy. So, like, I'm excited to get to know this new character specifically because Brian has talked about how he wants to address it and not just have it be, okay, this is just, you know, a new character or whatever. Like, it's he really wants to explore that kind of, like, you know, the trauma that would come from, like, having someone else live in your skin for, you know, years and years and years, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, that's awesome. Very, very cool. Yeah, and uh, Brian's been working on uh, Batman and the Outsiders with Katana, who has a, you know is a character who has you know a, a similar background to Quinan and um, has a lot of trauma herself, and the way that he's handled that character, amazing. So be on the lookout for that. We didn't necessarily select it ourselves, but of course, uh, X Men number two is dropping. Great stuff in, in issue one, and so we're very hyped for that as well. Hell yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, so uh, lots to look forward to. Uh, we're going to jump into the news here with two, count them, two big bits of casting for the upcoming Batman film. This is a movie we can't stop hearing about. Uh, there's just been so much casting news lately, and so... Uh, we're going to go with what's confirmed first. Well, actually, neither of them are confirmed. Um, uh, they're, they're those, like, they're those rumors, though, where it's, like, like the the first one is from Deadline. So it's, like, you can probably take that one to the bank. It's similar to how it was a rumor that Robert Pattinson was going to play the character. And then right. guess what? That came home to roost. Sure. So, uh, so they're talking about Colin Farrell playing the penguin which is like mind-blowing it's very very weird to me i don't get it and i I don't i don't hate it but my initial reaction to that is like yeah like colin farrell's kind of like handsome you know and like i always think of the like the penguin is you know not kind of gross and you know dumpy and you know, kind of goofy looking. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, you look at the last time we saw the penguin in a movie, 
played by Danny DeVito. How do you go from Danny DeVito to Colin Farrell? It doesn't make sense. That whole that was perfect too. Yeah. What a casting. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll say is, uh, you know, um, you remember how Telltale Games did their Batman game? Yep. Like a while back. In theirs, uh, you know, mild spoiler, they had a very different version of the Penguin that was kind of like, you know, like younger and he was a little, he was a little more fit and he was kind of like a little bit more of like, like he was rich, but he was kind of like a street tough as well, you know? Um, and that interpretation of the character uh, was very different than what I'd seen before, but it did work for me. So yeah. I'm kind of like, well, yeah, like maybe he could do it, sure, but it still feels like kind of a weird choice for me. I, I really like that. The issue that I have with it is the penguin's look makes him very, very different than other Batman villains. Yeah. And one of the, the things that's best about Batman's rogues gallery is the diversity of appearance and power set, or lack thereof, because most of them don't have powers. But um, to make him just a regular slim dude takes away an aspect of the Penguin's character that separates him from a lot of other gangster characters like Black Mask, for example. Colin Farrell would probably play a phenomenal Black Mask, by the way. I could see that, yeah. Thing is, though, they can still, like... Like, just because Colin Farrell is handsome doesn't mean that they can't, like, play it up, you know? Like, with, you know, a prosthetic of some kind, maybe if they want to give him a bigger nose or, you know, some other kind of thing to make him look a little more ghoulish. And uh, They have to do a but, lot of work. Yeah, he's a good-looking dude. It's, <laughs> But, you know, I think as, as, as long as they really, like, play up the he's a weird bird-obsessed gangster, like, I feel like you can still get what makes the penguin unique across, even if he's, you know, better looking than than you'd want him to be. It's possible. I remember they were talking about there was a rumor going around that Jonah Hill was going to play him, and I was like, mm, maybe. But yeah, but Jonah Hill's a guy that we know as being fat, right? Like he he's yeah. not not that right now, but he's he not fat anymore. Yeah. Put on the pounds for a role like that. That's what I'm saying. I think he could have been. He might have been a better pick. Yeah. I I would love to know why those talks fell through. Uh, the other bit of casting is also a little bit of, a, of an odd one. Uh, Andy Serkis to play Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah, so this was another one that I thought was kind of weird. Because obviously, like Andy Serkis is best known for his, you know, mocap stuff. But m- most recently... He was in Black Panther, and he was like pretty cut, you know. Yeah. Um, like he 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 was a big dude in that movie, so I mean, it's not impossible for him to slim down and you know like be a little bit skinnier or whatever, and like get into a less assuming look. But uh, I I don't know, like I it's it's hard for me to say that I don't see it because the thing with Andy Serkis is that I, I didn't see him as a big muscly villain in black panther either until i did you know um and he's also been Gollum and caesar you know so it's like uh, he he can kind of do anything you know like he's a chameleon yeah i think that's that's a good point and when it comes to these casting things uh especially for characters that are more malleable because 
you know, Alfred's been played by a few different amazing actors in a few different ways at this point, and they've all been like good. Like the great Michael Caine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> from Michael Caine to Jeremy Irons, you know, Jeremy Irons, not necessarily a guy you associate with a butler either, right? So uh, at this point, I think you can slot a lot of, like, older dudes into that role, great actors, and just get a great performance and call it a day. I really think the only things that you need to get get an old white British dude with a good voice, like who can talk slow and have gravitas, and it's like that's really that's Alfred, man. Like, <laughs> it's not that hard. Yeah, they're th- they're rolling out the Brinks truck. I feel like for this movie, man, because they are casting some heavy hitters, movie stars, and they're not done. You know, or at least I wouldn't imagine that they're done. You know, maybe they're done. Um. I'm excited for this movie, man. I, I, I am too. Um, I, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic about it because you know we've been burned with with DC stuff before. But like, ah, Matt Reeves seems to have a vision for it. He's getting some really good actors working with him, and I feel like, ah, I think as long as this isn't a movie that gets like choked by the studio that like we could really have something cool here the whole like he wants to have a more on the ground like you know nor like mystery kind of batman movie is like i said before like that's what i like out of a batman story so like the idea of this maybe having like a bit of a more like anthological vibe where like maybe he's dealing with all these different villains at like different points in his career or something that could be cool if it's all three of them teaming up and he's got to solve this big mystery to figure out what they're doing and stop them like yeah that could be great too you know i i'm a little wary about the fact that it has so many villains because like i think that can lead to it getting a little bit like bogged down but i also feel like with batman like Batman is not a character who needs any introduction at this point. I don't care how old you are. Like, the story of Batman is very easy to understand, and it's been told so many times in so many mediums that I think even if you're a little kid, like, you've probably seen Batman's origin somewhere, you know? And if not, your parents could explain it to you in, like, two seconds, or your brother or whoever, you know, like, whatever person is going to be your POE into the Batman universe can sum it up pretty damn quick, you know? And that's part of what makes Batman so easy to get into. So I I have reservations, but I really do think this movie is going to come together. And all, all signs are pointing it to it being something that'll be, like, actually fun to, to see, which, when the fuck is the last time that happened? It feels like ages since I enjoyed a Batman movie. Yeah, um, I, I think it's time for a Batman movie. You know, DC... Has really, you know, put Batman has put DC on their back, you know, even though Batman's a fictional character. And whenever stuff with Batman isn't doing the best, uh, DC's not doing the best. And this is something that we've covered in the past. But um, the same way that, you know, Batman begins and the Dark Knight came around and sort of changed the way we look at DC in the 2000s, uh, it, it, it put them back on top of the map as far as, you know, the movies go. They lost that quickly after, but, like, the the Dark Knight impacted film 
in general in a way oh, yeah. that we're still feeling the ripple effects of. So if they can do that again with the Batman, all the negative press that DC has received over the last batch of movies will probably wash away because they've already got some good stuff happening. And then Batman is back, right? You think about what what were the movies that came out before Batman Begins? You know, obviously the bad Batman movies, but then also um, uh, Superman Returns, which a lot of people didn't like. So the conversation was was not good (laughs) around DC. And then all it took was, you know, a couple of good ones. So, And the funny thing is, like, you think about Batman Begins. Batman Begins wasn't even, like, the level of hit that, you know, that I feel like it's remembered as because of the Dark Knight. Like, what the Dark Knight trilogy became, you know? Because, like, Batman Begins was awesome. I liked it when I saw it. But it wasn't a cultural moment, you know? And then, like, Dark Knight was, like, you know, that blew the lid off everything. Like, if Iron Man hadn't come out, like, that same year, or maybe it was the next year, like, I, I think that superhero movies would still look like The Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think you're right about that. So, a bit of congratulations is in order to the creative team behind Undiscovered Country. So, Undiscovered Country is a book co-written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule with art by Giuseppe Camoncoli. And it, it just dropped last week. There was a lot of buzz around this title. Image really, really put the marketing machine behind this uh, book. Both and, you and Marco had it on your pull list last week, right? Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, they got us, too. Like, this, this book looks looked phenomenal and apparently it worked because uh it's it's sold out completely uh and sold over 85,000 copies which is the second largest launch for image in 10 years wow uh the only other book to do better this within the last 10 years is Jupiter's Legacy uh, by Mark Millar, which uh, did uh, 125,000 for the first printing. It's also worth calling out that Jupiter's Legacy was a sequel, so that has an installed base. So, like, granted, this sold you know a significant number less copies, but I think this is actually more impressive because it's brand new and it's not based on anything. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I love to see creators of, of this caliber step away from the big two and do something and have it be this successful. Uh, it's confirmation on their end that what they've done with their big two stuff has a, a, a you know, a carryover effect, uh, because whatever their contracts with the big two, I think an image hit. Or a hit anywhere else. This is just in my mind. I could be totally wrong. Is probably more lucrative for them. They probably see more of that money. I feel like it has to be, you know. And and, and again, like we don't know, you know. Like we've we've talked with creators, and you know, like everybody has a different opinion about that sort of thing. 
um, we've actually had a few great conversations with Christopher Sabella about that, about the difference of like, I think when you're talking about big two, this is how, this is how he put it. I'm paraphrasing, go back and listen to the interview if you want to hear it from the horse's mouth. But the way he put it was very much like working for a big two or whatever is a steady paycheck. It's financial security, you know, like you have stability and you can plan your life around that kind of contract work. But if you have a hit that's in, in a creator-owned title, of course you make more money because Image is taking a cut of the money that's made versus you're paid to work and it doesn't matter how well it does. You know, maybe you get a bonus or something like that if it does really well. But, you know, like if you have a book of this caliber, like that's a, like one of Image's best-selling books, you got to imagine that's a pretty good return. Not to mention the fact that if it runs for however many years, you're continually seeing more of a return than you would probably doing contract work. And there's the chance that if it's popular, that it, the rights get picked up by somebody. Right. You know, like how happened with Crowded, right? With Sabella, you know, where it's like, oh, cool. Like if that movie gets made, he's going to have a lot more fucking money than he probably ever expected to make on on that book or any other book, you know? Yeah, totally. And Robert Kirkman's talked about that. I was like when when Walking Dead really first took off, like and he was like I will never work for Marvel or DC again. That was why. His whole mantra is like bet on yourself cuz you know, like maybe you won't have The Walking Dead, but you you might get close and you know, there's a lot more money in creating a brand and and a uh, you know, a uh, universe, all those things that you own, that you control, and that nobody can take away from you, you know? And if it gets to the point where people want T-shirts or action figures or whatever, that's all money that's going in your fucking pocket because it's yours, you know? Like, that's – yeah, that's significant. And for somebody like Scott Snyder, like, you know, he's got that clout now. Like, people will show up and, you know, nine times out of ten, it's fucking good. So – yeah, like I, I love seeing heavy hitters like that go and do this and find that level of success because, you know, I, I've said it before, like I love superhero comics, but I think the future of comic books is it needs to be broader than that. And this is the kind of shit that, you know, shows other creators that are either, you know, getting into the industry or who are on the rise that like, you know, there's like there's money to be made there if your if your book is quality and you get the right publisher behind it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, for Scott in particular, success in the indie space is not new. For Charles, I mean, he's had success, don't get me wrong, but I think I think anyone like would this. agree that, you know, Snyder has, has had major success in the past. I mean, Witches was a big success. Um, I think it uh, the Newsarama article says that it also sold like about eighty five thousand copies when yeah. it went for its first law lo- its its first number one. Yeah, so he's yeah. he can do this, you know. He's done this, uh, but no less impressive, no less worthy of congratulations, which is exactly what we're here to do. Uh, yeah, great job. I- I thought it was really funny in his uh, statement about it. He's like, I'm just floored. I'm like, are you, Scott? Because your shit's great and it sells. <laughs> Scott Snyder is like the most humble creator that I've ever spoken to. And he is also very humble whenever he does any type of public speaking at all. And I assume that that's his real personality. I assume it's not a, it's not made up. 
Um, yeah, he's just a really humble guy. Really nice guy. Nothing quite like that when you got somebody who's ridiculously talented and isn't a dick about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, of course, we've said this before. I'll say it again. Most of the comic book industry is like that. So That's been my experience anyway. Yeah. I've, I've never, like, talked to ex- – excluding uh, Stranko. <laughs> I've never talked to, like, somebody who I think of as, like, a legend or, like, a celebrity or whatever who's, like, big-timed me. TKO – uh, studios who we've talked about on the show before they have a very uh, unconventional way of putting out books they basically release uh, the individual issues and the graphic novels basically at the same time both complete if you want to buy the individual issues you can do that if you want to buy the graphic novel you can do that if you want to buy it digitally you can do that you can do whatever it is that you want to do uh to what appears to be, uh, you know, some success, uh, enough success that they're able now to put out the second wave of titles. So the second wave consists of four books, and uh, they look pretty cool. Uh, so we've got In the Banks by Roxanne Gay and Ming Doyle. This is a group of women who are the most successful thieves in Chicago who come together to avenge a loved one during the heist of a lifetime. Roxanne Gay has been making the rounds in comics. She was on the, uh, I think it was World of Wakanda that was really, really hyped uh, a, a while ago. It ended up getting canceled, but point is, this concept is something that I'm into enough to say, oh, I want to see what she what she does. I didn't necessarily care for the, the third Black Panther book on the stands, but something different, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's always cool to me when you have people like of this uh, caliber you know, who who decide that they're going to come, like, play in the space of comics. Because I think there are, like, some people who have a shitty attitude about that. But for me, like, it's, uh, it, it's like there's a, a real sense of irony, you know, that, like, I feel like we've, we've often talked about how there's this perception of comics as being, like, low art or being for children or whatever, or whatever, whatever. Um, and I love when you have people like like Roxanne who are you know uh she's a contributor at the New York Times you know she's she was a a professor at like you know all these prestigious universities like she's a, a a very smart academic and an accomplished published writer and you know and then she's like yeah and I and I write comics you know because comics are you know like just as legitimate as anything else so uh, I always think it's cool to see people like that who, like, out of nowhere, either because they loved comics or because they wanted to break in and do something else. Like, it's cool. And it, it makes us get different kinds of, you know, books and different kinds of voices in the industry, which is, again, like, to me, that's what comics need to survive is to d- diversify and evolve, you know? Yeah, without question. Need more voices, need more, you know, ideas. 
And uh, so, yeah, really excited for this. Um, it's a cool up. Next cool up one. is Sentient by Jeff Lemire and Gabrielle Walta. Walta, you'll recall, is the artist on The Vision, which was obviously an incredible title. And Jeff Lemire, you've heard of him from many different things. This one is about the following. An attack kills the adults on a colony ship, and the onboard AI, Valerie, must help the ship's children survive the perils of space. That sounds very appealing to me. That's a movie I want to watch. That's a television show I want to watch. That's a comic book I'm dying to read. That is, like, for me, must buy. It's funny, too, because, like, that um, – you bring up the idea of that as, like, a movie or a TV show. That would be such a – probably an inexpensive show to make, too, because you only need to make one set, you know? <laughs> it's just oh, – it's a bottle, you know? It's, you're just on a ship the whole time. Um, so that's – yeah, that's cool. That sounds awesome. That's, like, a great pitch, you know? I, I, I always love um, – I always love stories that are, like, about children in, like, dire situations like that, you know? And, like, how um, often, you know, their childhood is, like, a key to their survival as well, you know? Um, So it'll be interesting to see that play out. Yeah. Pound for Pound by Natalie Chaidez, Andy Bellinger, and uh, Daniela Miwa is about an MMA fighter named Danny Libra. Who, this is interesting, interesting, whose recurring blackouts spark bloody memories and her search for her kidnapped sister while trying to shine a light on the darkness in her own mind. Damn, that sounds like edgy as fuck. <laughs> yeah. That, that cover, though, is really cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's like, got like a very, um, I don't know, like, it, it feels like, like it's, the mask specifically like gives me like like uh, low key like lucha vibes but like mixed with you know kind of like early 2000s like it feels like if kickass's mask was combined with like a luchador's mask and I, mm. it, it's it's a cool look yeah this should be an interesting one uh not sure if it's for me but an interesting concept nonetheless and then last we have Eve of Extinction by Sal and Steve Simeon uh, Nick Varela and Ruth Redmond, which follows two mothers and their search for their daughter in a hurricane that changed the men into something inhuman. That's not oh. not for me. It's not on my alley. That kind of that kind of reminds me of um, like Why the Last Man, a little bit, you know? Yeah, not quite, but you know, it's like, like a, a similar kind of just like I I, I always it, it reminds me of like um. Like Twilight Zone kind of stuff, where it's just like one day we woke up and something crazy happened. You know, I like I like sure. that kind of I like that kind of setup for a for a story. Um, but I don't know, like the whole like hurricane vibe and everything. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to like watch two people just like wander through a hurricane and get attacked by monsters. <laughs> yeah. Um, in any hey. event, uh, very very cool lineup. Of books, uh, they're out now. So if you are interested in any of these, you can check them out. Uh, personally, I will be picking up Sentient on my next trip to my comic book shop. 
So yeah, that's that's the only one that's a definite pickup for me. That's uh, that sounds real interesting. I'd like to see how that one goes. Yeah. Um, but I shout out to TKO. Like I thought this was a cool idea when they launched it, but they're one of those pubs where you're like, oh, let's see if that works out for them. So I'm glad it did, and I really appreciate how diverse their offerings are. You know, like you have um, like this like you know, kind of more classic noir kind of story. You got this hard sci-fi thing. You've got what feels like a, you know, vigilante superhero kind of story. And then you've got like a a more like um, grounded science fiction story as well in Eve of Extinction. So yeah, it's, it's a very, very good set of offerings. It sounds like. Yeah. The only thing that kind of troubles me about this is uh, so that the trades are 20 bucks. Uh, the, both both options are six issues, so the trade is twenty, and then the six issue box set is thirty dollars. Why would anyone buy the individual issues? Why are you be paying more for the same amount of content? I mean, I, I guess it's the collector mentality. You know? I guess it's it's banking on these having some kind of value. Yeah, and and I think like for me I can't see why you would buy it, you know, but I mean people must have, right? Or they wouldn't have done it again for the second round. They probably would have just done the graphic novels. I don't know. I think one wave is is too early to too early to make a determination like that. We don't have their numbers, but this is this is early days for them, and they have a very uphill battle. So I don't know if we can know much of anything um, in that respect. To that point, it'll pro- it'll be more telling how the second wave sells because the first wave was new and novel. So I'm sure people bought it on that promise of like, well, if this hits, these will be worth something. Yeah. And if you see that for the second wave, then maybe the model is more sustainable than we're giving them credit for. But I think if we see the third wave come and they've scaled those back, then that'll be the, all the proof that we need that that doesn't necessarily make sense. But, you know, people are weird, man. Like, some people really care about that kind of shit, you know? Like, I know, like, all of you guys are generally – you would rather read a physical comic than a digital one, you know? And, like, that's, like, a, a line for you. And I feel like some people, like, m- might have that mentality about singles, like, more than we think, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but normally it's like you're making that choice to no monetary detriment. Whereas here, you're definitely spending more money than you normally would. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. It is a little more expensive to get singles, but then you're also getting it month to month, to your point. You're not having to wait to read the story, you know? So that even if you are paying a little bit more, there's that added value of like you get access to it sooner and then there's the potential that it'll be worth something in the future, you know? But in this case, you don't have that. You're just paying $10 more for what is a, it's essentially a collector's item. And, and with singles, you can also get uh, you can also get variant covers. Lots of times, if there's some kind of back matter, it won't be included in the in the graphic novel. So there's there's like a lot of reasons to do that. This just seems a little weird to me, but hey, if people buy it, that's what matters. So moving on, uh, 2000 AD 
is you've you've probably you, you probably haven't heard of it. You know, like there's a chance you have, but you might not have. Um, but I bet you've heard of Judge Dredd, and that's where he comes from. So 2000 AD is an anthology comic, um, and finally, for the first time, it's going to be available in the U.S. We're going to have the opportunity to uh, actually read this um, here stateside. So essentially what they're going to be doing is they're going to be launching a new title, which is going to be called Best of 2000 AD, and it's going to be a 12-issue series that showcases some of the best stuff that 2000 AD has ever done, including... Okay. One of the most revered Judge Dredd stories. Uh, now, I got to tell you, at first I was reading this and I was like, all right. But I am so excited for this out of nowhere because because I, I've always thought Judge Dredd was really cool. And I didn't know where he came from or whatever as you know like as a younger person found out he was a comic book character okay whatever but i never saw a judge dread comic book before so now i have the opportunity to not only read judge dread but i have the opportunity to see what the whole anthology world is like and i don't have to find the best stories that's yeah, what they're, they're being giving curated me. for you yeah that's brilliant so real quick 2000 AD is like is that it's set in the same universe as Judge Dredd? That's the thing. Yeah. Okay, that was what I was thinking, and and then he spun off from that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I've heard of it before, but I like if you had asked me what it was, I would not have been able to tell you. You know, I didn't know that that was like that there was a connection there. I've only ever seen the original Judge Dredd movie. Like that's like my entire knowledge base of the character. Honestly, I don't know if I've ever even seen that. I don't know where my interest in Judge Dredd came from. I mean, he's cool. He just looks cool. He's got a cool fucking design. And, like, I know, like, the the thing I remember the most about that movie is that he, like, shoots a guy in the dick. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Uh, They had the Judge Dredd or the, yeah, the Judge Dredd movie that came out a few years ago. Yeah. And, uh, People said it was really good. Yep, by, by all accounts, it was real good. I now I'm gonna go see that too. I'm not gonna go see it. I'm gonna you know download it or check something, it out. But yeah, yeah, we'll find it somewhere. You know what we should do? We should do a book club of this. That would be really cool. <sighs> well, that's uh, this this is twelve issues and uh, it starts in April. So if you want to talk about that, we're talking 2021. Yeah, whatever. I will not remember, nor will you. <laughs> Marco, you edit this show. Write it down, bro. <laughs> yeah. Put together the 2021 book club schedule. Let's go. But yeah, this is something that I'm going to be checking out for sure. Uh, there are a lot of really well-known creators involved with this. Uh, Jamie McKelvey is going to be giving some new art uh, for this. Uh, Charlie Adlard is involved. Uh, Hell yeah. Uh, Becky Cloonan's involved. Erica Henderson's involved. Annie Wu. Uh, and plenty more creators, uh, and also the des- some of the designs will be done by uh, Tom Muller, who did the design work for House and Powers. Okay, yeah, I'm sold. This sounds neat. Yeah, 
Let me know what you think of the first issue when it drops. Will do. Will do. So now we're going to jump into our Disney Plus block. And as I said, uh, Disney Plus is launching this Friday. So very, very uh, exciting time, but also a very sort of nerve-wracking time, I'm sure, for Disney. Uh, They've been making the rounds, talking a lot about Disney Plus, what to expect, stuff like that. The non-Marvel stuff is not really our concern here. Although, if you are a Disney fan and you, you know, love Disney movies, Disney, you know, cartoon shows, whatever, there's a lot for you. They, they're they going to have most of their stuff. Um, Mandalorian it, looks cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When it comes to Marvel, though, Disney Plus probably, uh, probably pissed a lot more people off than it excited. At least the, that's what the internet would have you believe. So... The beef comes from uh, Kevin Feige when he was uh, speaking to Bloomberg uh, and essentially said the following. If you want to understand everything in the Marvel movies, Feige says, you'll probably need a Disney Plus subscription because events from the new shows will factor into forthcoming films such as Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The Scarlet Witch will be a key character in that movie. And Feige points out that the Loki series will tie in too. So that's what has had the internet in a in a tizzy this week. Uh, what do you what do you think of that? What do you make of that? I just like it, it's much to do about nothing, man. Like, of course, that's the truth. That's like that is how the MCU works. As soon as as soon as they said that they were going to make movies that they had Kevin Feige producing shows that were going to be in the MCU starring characters that we've seen in the movies, how did you think that they wouldn't tie together? That's the whole thing. That's what the MCU is and does. And anything that's ever existed on the periphery that's like kind of connected to it, like Daredevil or guess what? They all got the axe. And there's a reason for that. So like to me, anybody who's like getting annoyed about this, it's just like, like what did a what did you expect? And b, do you watch every Marvel movie? Like, have you seen every one of the MCU movies? Because if you have, then what the fuck do you care? Like, you were probably gonna watch these anyway, right? And if you weren't, oh, guess what? There'll be a million YouTube videos and podcasts like ours recapping everything for you if you really don't want to watch it. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. And I've seen so many people being like, oh, well, I'll just stop watching then. Okay. Yeah. Great. You're going to your, – your your $16 ticket or, you know, less, depending on where you live, is probably not going to impact the bottom line for DC – or Disney too much. So – I've seen it's like it reminds me of when people are like, oh, like The Walking Dead like really fell off. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, it's still like the in the top three most profitable shows on television or whatever. So like AMC doesn't give a shit. Like, obviously, they'd like it to be 15 million every goddamn premiere like it used to be. But uh, Disney has a long way to fall before these are not worth doing anymore. Yeah. And, the, you know, a lot of people have have said that there's, you know, they feel like it's gatekeeping and. Uh, and things of that nature, which is such a you know loaded word to use for a situation yeah. like this. That's not. It's not like that. Um, 
comparing That's it, like saying that it's gatekeeping because they charge you a ticket to go see the movie. Right. Comparing it to comic books in the sense that uh, comic books have a lot of continuity that can make it really difficult to keep up and things of that nature. Uh, at the end of the day, this is a film, uh, a franchise that's that's evolving, that has to evolve, that has to diversify. Uh, I think that having to watch these shows is not different than having to watch the movies in the sense that the movies are coming out you know, a few times a year, and if you don't watch absolutely every single one, there's a chance, there's a pretty good chance, actually, that you will not understand absolutely everything that happens in Avengers Endgame, for example. Did that impact your viewing? You know, maybe. I don't know, because I saw them all. But if it didn't, it's probably not going to be much different here. I I really don't feel like it does. And this is a super anecdotal thing, but just like... From my point of view, I've seen all the Marvel movies, and I plan, at least for this initial batch, to check out the shows. Whether I'll keep up with all of them or whatever remains to be seen. Um, But I imagine we'll probably be doing content about them, so I'll probably check them out. But either way, like I, I have several people in my life that have not watched all those movies. You know, um, Sarah included. And when we watch Endgame together, there are several movies that tie into Endgame that she never saw, you know? Um, and the generally speaking, they do a pretty good job of filling in the gaps for people that haven't seen everything. And chances are that if you haven't seen one of those things, you'll probably know somebody who has because they're damn near ubiquitous at this point. So how hard is it to lean over and be like, oh, what's going on with this? You know, right. like, oh, yeah, this is the guy from Doctor Strange. Oh, okay, cool. Great. Fill in the blanks later. Yeah. It's not going to stop anybody from seeing these movies. I really don't think it will. Well, a lot of people talk big, you know, when when there's nothing happening and, and it, oh, it's frustrating because I don't want to watch more of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then when the movies come out and the hype begins, they, you know, they go to the theater just like everybody else, you know, marks. Um, and there's nothing wrong with being a mark. I'm a mark. But the point is that. At the end of the day, you're complaining about something without even knowing what it's going to look like in practice. We have no idea. Loki tying into Doctor Strange 2 is very similar to Thor Ragnarok being essentially the prelude to Avengers Infinity War. If you didn't watch Thor Ragnarok, you don't know why Thor and Loki were in space and why their ship got taken over by Thanos' ship and how they got captured. But guess what? You don't need to know that. All you need to know is they got captured and they're in a bad spot. It's You know, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. That's the thing with superheroes, man. Once you know the characters, it doesn't really matter if you know every fucking detail. Like, you know who Hulk is. You know who Thor is. You know where they're at. In terms of like, these are the big strong guys on the team. And Thanos made mincemeat of them. Oh, he must be a bad motherfucker. That's the takeaway from that scene. Nothing else matters, you know? Or like when Loki dies, like, oh, that's Thor's brother. He would be sad about that, right? Like, so, you know, like, I don't know. I just feel like people just, like you said, they're just looking for something to get bent out of shape about. And if realistically, you don't want to watch more of this shit, guess what? You don't have to. Yeah, I'm sure you'll live, and I'm sure that going to the movies will still be 
as enjoyable of an experience as it was, and uh, the world will continue to spin. So, although there are people that are saying that they will not get Disney+, Plus, they will not watch these shows, according to a study by HighSpeedInternet.com, uh, 67%, 67% of the people studied will subscribe to Disney+. Plus. This is specifically for Americans. Yeah. Which is worth pointing out. But, uh, yeah. So, that's that's the other thing, is that there are a lot of people who talk a big game, but uh, the vast majority of people enjoy these movies and are going to continue to go see them, and we're probably going to get Disney Plus anyway, and, oh, there's an MCU show? Great, I'll watch it. Yeah. That's how it works. It's worth pointing out that this survey was 400 people, which is a small sample size, and I'm sure someone listening right now is like, well, they didn't ask me. Cool. Uh, things like this, you know, they're done for a reason. I'm not suggesting that 67% of, of, of all people in the United States are going to be having Disney+. Plus, But what it does say is that there's a lot of interest, that, that, that people are compelled to want to check this out. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just so much content on it, and it's not expensive. You know, like of course people are gonna like if you have kids, how how would you not get this? It's a no brainer. You know? Yeah, it's an absolute no brainer, especially when you consider that bundle that they've announced with um, Hulu and ESPN. Like, cool. So you just covered your entire family for right? the same like, price as Netflix. Yeah. Netflix, or Hulu. Netflix Hello? is. Is is thirteen dollars for a subscription, a regular subscription, and Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and uh, Hulu together is the same exact price. And that's the thing is, I already have Hulu, so like I'm gonna upgrade to this bundle and get ESPN and Disney for free, essentially. Yeah. Like, why the fuck wouldn't you do? Like, most people our age probably should subscribe to two of these services. Right. You know, so like you just throw that. Yeah, it's like fucking no brainer, absolute no brainer. <laughs> yeah. Uh. It, and, and and for me, I was like, okay, well, I got to sign up for this. Turns out, as a Verizon uh, a Verizon customer, oh yeah, I'm you get it for free, right? For free of this. So, like, they're they're definitely working all angles here. And uh, it's, you got to imagine, by the time your year is up, you're going to want to resubscribe too, because you'll be like, oh, I watched all those shows and they were good. Well, we won't even have uh, any of the shows of the Marvel shows. Until a year from now. Oh, really? There's none that are in the first year? Zero. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Well, again, a year from now. So it's in the first year. But, like, when my subscription, when when all people's subscriptions are are dying out, you will have only seen Falcon and Winter Soldier. Oh, I mean, that's perfect, though, right? You give them a little taste. Yeah. Don't you want to watch the next one? Yeah, probably. On top of that... I don't know if you know this, but each series is releasing weekly. So it's not uh-huh. Netflix style. So okay. at this same time next year, Falcon and Winter Soldier might not even be over. So you Damn, you actually smart. might need to re-up to continue to watch this the show. Fucking A. Yeah. That's that's smart. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, man, like I don't know, by that like they already got me, you know, like I, this is a thing that's like, of course I'm going to do this, you know, like it's, it's just, it's, 
a very affordable way to get a ton of more entertainment options, regardless of if the original stuff is even good. You know, like, they've got every fucking episode of The Simpsons. Like, there are people who would sign up for that alone. So, like, yeah, they got us coming and going on this motherfucking thing. It's going to be interesting. The the streaming wars have begun for sure. Uh, I, I'm I'm really excited to see what Netflix does as a reaction to Disney Plus. But look, Disney fan of almost thirty years, you know, that's where it's at. I always felt like if Disney came out with their own streaming service, that would be the only one that I would rather have than Netflix, and that remains true. I would I would miss Netflix. But I can't not have Disney Plus. I, I think – so let me ask you this question. This is like maybe a little bit outside of our, our realm, but I'm interested in what you think. Who do you think the players are going to be that survive this game? Because for me right now, I think that people are getting like so bent out of shape about how many streaming services there are and talking about like how it's like, oh, like you know, we're just getting back into cable or whatever. I don't think that's how it's going to end up. I think that at the end of like at the end of this thing, there's gonna be maybe three or four players that walk away from it. And for me right now, I think it's Netflix, Disney, HBO Max, and maybe Amazon Prime because Amazon is propped up by a bunch of other stuff. You know. Well, when you um, say by the end, what do you mean? Like how many years out? I don't. I, I'm not. I don't have like a prediction of within <clears throat> five years or whatever. But I think that like. I think this race for everybody to have a streaming service is not something that's sustainable because I don't think that all of them can survive, you know? And I think, like, in the way that for a long time it was just Netflix and Hulu, I think eventually we're going to, whether it's five years, whether it's ten years, I think we're going to settle and have a few people that are controlling the space, you know? So I I don't have it right in front of me, but I was, uh, you know, looking at all this stuff the other day and I saw that to get all the streaming services that are available for, for, you know, television and movies, you'd spend $150. So a month. So that's cable territory for sure. Yeah. Uh, granted who in their right mind wants them all. That's a little weird, but Hey, I guess, you know, there are people, um, that aside, I think that, I think that, a lot of them have a shot to succeed for the simple fact that they appeal to different people. Um, I don't see any reason why uh, most of these can't succeed, especially like, for example, CBS has CBS. I think it's called All Access. And yeah, you know, I don't watch CBS. You, you, I don't think you watch much on CBS, but there are people who love CBS. There are people who want to watch Star Trek. They have their, their show there that will pay for this. And how much is it costing CBS to keep this thing up? Really, if people are cutting cords anyways and don't want cable, they're losing money off of people not wanting cable regardless. Yeah. So it makes sense to continue to have a streaming service. All their content can live over there. Most of the time, these websites, if you go on them and you have an active account with a cable provider, you can watch shows on there for free. So they're hosting the content anyway. So it it doesn't make sense to not have a streaming service active. Peacock, one second. Peacock is going to be free. It's going to be totally free. And for NBC, they're going to have yeah. 
an ad-supported free version and then an ad-free uh, paid version. They're doing it for free because – I think that that's a really interesting model. Right. Because you can have ads on there, which, yeah, they suck, but it's not different than watching television, and you can watch whatever you want. And they have, obviously, they have a pretty good stable of shows, too. You know, like, they've got Friends, The Office, like, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good point. You 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 might be onto something there with seeing more of a diversification of the model, Um but I wonder how many people like who are subscribed to like CBS All Access, like how many of them might jump ship to Disney or HBO Max when that comes out, and they're like, "Well, you know, I don't want, I don't five streaming services is too much for my blood, so I got to pair these back a little bit." You know, I think that there are some that have overlap and some that don't. I think uh, HBO is like a great. I think that if you want Disney Plus. That could easily be the only streaming service you have in your house because it covers so much ground. Uh, but HBO is a great companion. So if you have Disney Plus for yourself and the kids, but you also really want some, you know, edgier stuff, whatever, HBO goes right along with that. Well, at HBO Max has so like when you think about it. The reason I think that's going to work out, too, is obviously HBO itself is a draw, but it's also all of the Warner content, which is one of the only catalogs that rivals Disney's, you know? That's Looney Tunes, that's the DC stuff, you know, like, it goes on and on and on. Um, So I feel like the two of them are, like, lock. Like, they're going to succeed, you know? And I think it's, like, Netflix... They're losing a lot of stuff, but they they've diversified their content in a lot of really smart ways too. In terms of like doubling down on like reality shows that are easier to produce, doubling down on comedy, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so I feel like the three of them make for a really nice, like your your bases are covered, you know, like front back and forward. I I would actually argue that Sideways. Netflix is losing value quickly. Because one of the things that the, – the thing that made Netflix awesome in the beginning wasn't original content. It was that you could go there and watch content from so many different places for one price. Now that that's not the case, Friends fans are going to have to ask themselves tough questions about what they want. And, yeah, and The Office is going to be a huge blow too. And, Those are obviously a big part of their audience. And Netflix is the first one, well, HBO and Netflix, I would say, are the ones that people would, in my mind, be most likely to pull away from. Because let, a lot of people have Netflix for friends, and that's it, that's it, that's it, that's over, you know? Um, so I, I feel like a lot of these streaming services, if not all of them, have a place that there's not going to be... A, a, a lot of them going away for the simple fact that it makes too much sense to keep them, even if you are not doing Netflix business or Disney Plus business or HBO Max business. Uh, so we do know more about what we can expect from uh, the Disney Plus shows that are Marvel related. We got a little bit more information there. Uh, Disney Plus has Moon Knight which was announced to much fanfare. Um, we know that uh, Jeremy Slater 
is going to be the lead writer for that. And he's actually the guy who adapted Umbrella Academy. So that's pretty cool because Umbrella Academy had a very quirky, weird vibe and energy, which makes a lot of sense for Moon Knight. I think a guy like that who who's bringing that different vibe with Kevin Feige sort of overseeing and overwatching the whole thing is pitch perfect. Yeah, that sounds like a good match. Yeah. I'm excited to see Moon Knight, man. That's going to be weird. You know, I'm not excited. I actually don't care about Moon Knight at all. Really? Not at all? Not even a little bit. I'm definitely not like a big Moon Knight guy, but like he's just so wacky that I'm interested to see like how – how he translates really you know i always hated the idea of a moon knight series on netflix because at that time it would have been uh moon knight emulates other people's powers and stuff like that and i felt like they they just didn't have enough characters to make that work but now that it's on um uh disney plus and they have the full you know gamut of characters to use for that thing for that power uh, I, I think it can be a lot more compelling, but Moon Knight, I just don't care about. Uh, we got some She-Hulk news. So uh, Jessica Gao, who is a writer from Rick and Morty, uh, and then also Lazy Rich Asians, <laughs> which is uh, coming to ABC uh, soon, is going to be the lead writer for She-Hulk. Yeah, so that's that's really cool. Um, the the article calls out that like she's probably best known for the Pickle Rick episode, which obviously became a huge meme, but it also won an Emmy for uh for the for the episode. So um, yeah, that's that's cool. Like that's somebody who obviously has comedy chops and can write stuff that's like also a little bit more serious. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that one turns out. But I think that that also seems like a good match. Yeah. Uh, She-Hulk is a show that I'm really excited for because I'm a big fan of the character, although I question the timing just because I'm not sure how, I guess my biggest question is how do we get to the point where she exists? Is this going to be an origin story? If it is, it requires the Hulk to be involved. So there's a lot of, a lot of questions for me, but, uh, I'm excited to have them answered for sure. Same. I would say that's probably the show, the live action show that I'm the most excited for. Yeah. Well, sh- go ahead. Well, what's one for you? WandaVision? Oh, without question, WandaVision is the, the one I'm most excited that's- for. When you said that, I was thinking automatically about new characters. Okay. Yeah. And I thought about uh, Miss Marvel. Fair. That one's interesting, too. I And obviously, I like teenage superheroes, and she's from New Jersey, so that's cool. Um, but I, I think I'm most interested in She-Hulks because I think it has the ability to be the most different because it's like, I don't know, like if, if they strike the right balance of, uh, you know, superheroing, but also like the legal stuff, I think that could make for like a really different kind of show. And I, I'm interested in anything that's like different, you know, anything that is like going to be a play on the superhero genre is like, I think has more ability to be like 
fresh and in the same way that like Ant-Man was fun because it was like a superhero heist movie. Like I would love a superhero court drama. That sounds dope. So I, I, I have a lot of hope that this one comes together because as, 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 as much as I think that the other shows will probably be good, like I can also see how each of them could be similar to something I've seen before. She-Hulk is, a, is an example of a character that really doesn't need a movie. And the fact that they're willing to put big budget behind these shows allows the character to thrive so that they don't look cheap or, you know, poorly done or, you know, you're spending $100,000 on a wig like they did with the Inhumans. Um, so you, you avoid some of the problems that a lot of these shows have, but it also gives you the room to tell a, a, a good story, a strong story. And then that character can move on or in conjunction with that can can then also be an Avenger. She could she could replace the Hulk on the Avengers and then have her own show. That would be that, that this would be the first time. This is the first time that things like that are going to happen. We've never really had that before where you can see these characters in two places. Yeah, I think that'll be especially interesting for Kamala because not to say that she couldn't have a movie, but I feel like you're going to get in the territory there of like how different is her movie going to be than Captain Marvel or Spider-Man. You know, it's going to be like somewhere in the middle of those two things, you know, whereas like if you have the show, you have the opportunity to like get more into like some of the more mundane stuff that Spider-Man deals with very briefly and like build out the character in a way where like you get to know her a little bit better. You get to like get in, you know, like, get behind her so that when she does graduate to, you know, being in a team-up movie or something like that, like, people are already, like, behind her, you know? And, like, I feel I feel like the reaction to Captain Marvel, like, obviously there was a lot of people who had a shitty reaction to it because they're shitty, but I know we definitely talked about how it was kind of weird to have it be like, oh, it's this flashback, that's her origin, and then all of a sudden she's in the big hero movie and she's, like, a heavy hitter. And, like, not that it necessarily didn't work, but, like, you're, I felt like you were kind of rushing to set her up rather than have, being able to take your time on a show like this and really, like, organically weave her into the workings of the existing universe. And, you know, when she's elevated to a major player, you're like, oh, cool, that makes sense. I think... I think with Miss Marvel, you could easily do a movie. You look at the Spider-Man films and they the the relationship between Peter and Tony, not in terms of the actual like dialogue and conversations, but the way that Peter sees Tony, the way that Tony sees Peter is the same as Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel. And so the blueprint is is absolutely there. Um and I'm bummed out that they're doing this so fast. I wish that they were taking more time to establish Captain Marvel before Miss Marvel happens because she's directly yeah. inspired. I don't see what ha- what what has Captain Marvel done that would inspire somebody. We human beings on Earth don't know she exists because she only appeared one time. Well, technically twice, but. I don't think that she re- would have even appeared on TV. So I don't know. Yeah, it's tough to say not knowing how much of the events of Endgame are known to the broader population. 
whether they are or not, I highly doubt that there were televisions uh, or, or cameras in the region of the battle. Yeah, right. And I not to say that that's impossible, right? Because, like, we've had events like that where it's, like, there's been footage of, like, a big event like that that somebody caught somehow, you know? Um, so, like, they could explain that. But to your point, like, it, I think that a Miss Marvel series makes more sense after you have a, a Captain Marvel 2 where she, like, is on Earth the whole time and, you know, makes her presence more known. If there were any camera people surrounding Avengers Mansion when a ship flew into it, they dead. So I don't know how they're going to pull that off. But in any event, the last bit of Disney Plus news is that Hawkeye was originally supposed to be a movie. And now it's not. Now it's going to be a TV show, which we already know about. Um, They actually went as far as to have Jeremy Renner signed on to play the character in his own movie and Kevin Feige had to break the news to him that hey man we want to do a TV show here's the pitch and by all accounts he loved it and so we are now going to be getting that as a TV show I think that a Hawkeye movie just doesn't have legs yeah I don't like I think that the the ship kind of sailed on that too like if they were gonna do that I think a, a Black Widow Hawkeye movie could have worked but giving both of them their own solo movie, it's kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a bridge too far. And, and you know, no disrespect whatsoever. I personally like Hawkeye, but um, I would say if you ask most people, they would say that he was their least favorite of the Avengers. Easily, right? I mean, his first appearance, he's, like, mind-controlled for half the movie. You know, I, I don't know. I like again. I I'm not a a, a Hawkeye hater myself either. But I, I think it's, I don't think they've done much to make him a character that people want to follow by themselves. Yeah. So he works in an ensemble, but. And frankly, I think this is the last time we're going to see Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. Uh, I think, probably. I think this is his swan song. So. Yeah, I think his daughter will probably become Kate Bishop and then she'll be the new Hawkeye and that'll be that something like that something yeah. like that yeah not quite Kate Bishop but that role <laughs> she'll become Kate Bishop <laughs> <laughs> yeah she changes her name <laughs> yeah all right so all that out of the way hopefully you guys uh, are going to be subscribing to Disney plus if you're not let us know why not I'm very interested in this whole thing and I'll be there day one so uh, always happy to talk about it you ready for you and me to be the only ones who review all those shows? Because everybody else is like, I don't have $8. Marco will 1 million percent have it. And also, let's not shame people who don't have $8. <laughs> Look, Phil has $8. He just won't spend it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Phil thinks these movies suck. That's what he says anyway. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump into our reviews of uh, New Mutants and X-Force, yeah? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we're going to start with New Mutants number one. Uh, This one was actually co-written by Ed Brisson and Jonathan Hickman, um, which I thought was really interesting, and I'm not entirely sure what that choice was about. I know that Jonathan Hickman has said he's a big fan of the New Mutants, so maybe he just wanted to get his hands on them. Uh, It's also possible that he felt 
he needed to kind of guide the ship a little bit, but I don't really see what about this issue would have required that. But in any event, uh, the art isn't was, it only the first issue that he co-wrote too? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, it's also uh, the art by Rod Reese, uh, lettering by Travis Lanham, and uh, the designs, of course, by Tom Muller, who is uh, killing it. We mentioned him earlier. So the New Mutants is not a franchise that I have too much of a relationship with i would say it's probably on the lower end for me as far as the x-men go in terms of my relationship with them uh that being said i know all of these characters i like them fine and uh i actually had a lot of fun with this issue yeah i i I would agree um i would say we're probably about on the same page there because i like i have read new mutants before but it's not a brand that I'm like super, super connected to. Um, but this is like a fun team. And, you know, I think my, my penchant for like younger heroes has definitely like been well established. So, you know, I, I definitely, uh, I I thought this was a fun issue too. My only like, not even gripe about it, but I, I think last week when we talked about, um, uh, Excalibur, one of the things that we talked about was how there's some of the dialogue felt like very expository. And I felt specifically that conversation uh, about like the different ages of mutants, you know, like kind of like we're talking through the entire history of the, of the mutant race basically felt like very kind of like, okay, like nobody talks like this, you know? Um, yeah. And that was weird to me, honestly, because I, I felt like there are a couple moments like that where they were like catching us up and like setting groundwork for our understanding of the stakes and I didn't I didn't really feel like I needed that, you know, like that felt kind of aimed I guess like if you're picking up this book and you haven't read everything else but like as someone who has I was kind of like, yeah, no, I know. Like I know these things. <laughs> yeah, I also wasn't clear on why those two characters in particular were the ones that were having this conversation because um i i feel like i, f- I feel like they wouldn't need to i don't know it was just a little yeah a little odd like danny and um i forgot his human name but sunspot like they 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 don't i uh, like they don't i just don't f- see a reason why they would have that conversation but okay um yeah, it felt very, like, aimed at the reader, you know, <laughs> um, which is fine. Like, it's not, you know, that's not a trope that I'm unfamiliar with in comics. It's just, like, it felt like a – similar to what we said about Excalibur where it's, like, that made it feel like kind of any other issue of any other comic rather than what we've kind of come to expect with these X titles more recently. Well, more than that with this book – and, and again, I, I enjoyed it. It was very fun. There's a lot of really good humor in it and stuff. And uh, I could tell that Jonathan and Ed were having a good time. But I don't see why this issue needed or why this book needs to exist. It didn't, it didn't do anything here to establish why this series has to be a series. Uh, essentially, the, the New Mutants team, you know, pretty much the OG team, uh, they decide to go and find Cannonball in space. And they hitch a ride with the Starjammers. And the Starjammers, of course, are space thieves. 
and they get in trouble, and now the new mutants have to find their way out of this trouble. That is the kind of premise that you could do at any time. There's no... Like, what... Okay, so cool, Krakoa now exists, so that means that everybody's having a blast, and Cannonball should should experience this, but... You could say that at any time, like even before Krakoa, you could say that these characters wanted Cannonball to come back to Earth and be with them. They're missing their man, so they go to space to try to find him. You could do that at any time. Yeah, and not to say that it doesn't make sense here, like to your point, right? Like, okay, this is like a new era for mutant kind. The whole team is together again and... You know, like, yeah, like, they're missing they're missing one of their crew, and they want to reconnect with him. And I think more importantly, similar to what we saw Scott do in X-Men number one, they want to give him a gate so he can come home whenever he wants, even if he decides to stay, you know, with his family where they're at right now. Um, so, like, I get that motivation, and I get why that would happen post-Krakoa, but, like, to your point, where every other book that we've read feels like it is, it has a, a purpose in the greater machinations of the X machine right now, this book just kind of feels like, well, we want to revive the new mutants, and this is the logical step for them to go on an adventure. And that's not problematic necessarily. Like It could still be a good, interesting book, but it makes it feel um, superfluous. You know, like, if, if if we had to pick one of these books to axe, this is probably the one that would be the easiest to do, right? Because, like, granted, I think we said kind of similar things about Excalibur, but I also believe that that book is cluing at longer-term ramifications that will matter to the, the mutants as a people. Whereas, like, if all this is going to do is bring Sam back, okay cool like I, I might be down to go on that ride i like ed Brisson and the art was good and i like the issue like i said but it, it does feel a little i don't know needless i guess yeah yeah um i'm definitely with that i i, I welcome any opportunity that i get to see the star jammers make a an appearance in a book dude they're using them a lot too <laughs> yeah Oh, I got. I, can you hear that? Yeah, but if you want to wait a second. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't necessarily want to read a Star Jammers book. Like I know that uh, fairly recently there was a Star Jammers title, but like to see them around, I'm cool with that. I I enjoyed their interplay with the New Mutants. Um, just it's just a it's just a fun book. I mean, there's so many good moments. I really enjoyed the way that uh, Sunspot. Uh, got along with Corsair and they shared the drink together and stuff. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then when um, when Magic fights with uh, what's this dude's name? I can't recall. I don't remember, but that's the best page in the book, I think. Yeah, and she like cuts his arm off and stuff. Yeah, where he like I, I guess seemingly breaks her nose or whatever. Like that that just that picture of her where she just like gets wound up. I'm yeah. like that is such a good page, and the coloring on it is awesome. Like. You feel the the rage, you know, like it's this friendly spar and they're talking shit and then, then she's just like, oh, fuck, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that where she's like, don't be a baby. It's just a robot arm. This is my real actual nose. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just so, so good. And the art does such a great job of of uh, delivering on on that sequence and, and the comedy stuff and, and all the stuff, really. Um, I'm, I'm not actually a big fan of Rod Reese 
in general, but I think he's colored well here and um some of his some of his weaker points in my mind anyways didn't really factor. Uh sometimes I don't really care for his uh I don't know, his characters look a little bit like stuck in the page. They don't pop. And uh, that normally bothers me quite a bit. Here, it wasn't as big of a factor. Um, I think the colors do a lot of help on that because the backgrounds are so, like, muted but distinct that I feel like it lets the art pop a little bit more. Sometimes. Uh, so in some in, On some of these pages, I would agree with that. Others, less so. But um, overall, I, I love what they did here. And... To, to the book's credit, it keeps things simple, but at the same time, this is a problem that I think that some of the X titles are going to have to deal with, where House and Powers and X-Men number one set us up in such a way that you have these massive expectations, even Marauders number one, and it feels like every issue down the line after has been less important. And not everything can be x-men or house of power or house or powers i get that it's it's an expectation shift that i guess i need to do in order to let go of the 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 feeling of like well is this essential Mm -hmm. so yeah because i think the to your point not everything is and not everything can be right and that's fine you know if, if the book is good the book is good um and to be fair, like, I also don't hate the idea of, like, maybe jumping off a few of these if they don't grab me because I don't need to read them, you know? Like, as long as I'm keeping up with the bigger stuff that is interesting, like, I'll know what's going on. And, you know, maybe I get the trades of these, right? Like, One of the complaints that was making the rounds on the internet when the initial batch of titles was released was... Uh, how the heck are we going to keep up with all these titles? They're expecting us to drop so much money, you know, all all that stuff. And for me personally, that was never an issue, simply because I'll buy what I want, you know, and, and won't buy what I don't want. But I, I anticipated wanting it all, and I'm fine with that. Um, but now it's become clear that if you would like to follow these stories. You can, and you will get something out of it because the creative teams are good, the books are good. However, you don't have to buy them all. You can absolutely skip a few of these and be okay. And granted, we're one issue deep on all of them. The only one we're missing is Fallen Angels. So things could change. It's it's easily possible that they discover something in New Mutants that plays dividends later. That could happen. But as of now, it's not the case. So It feels like a smaller story. Yeah. Absolutely. And those are well. Which makes sense, too. I mean, these are smaller characters. Right. You know? Um, I did also just want to call it again, because um, I think there are a few pages that really worked for me. The, what, the like, first two pages um, uh, about Wolfsbane's, uh, Wolfsbane's, that's really hard to say, possessively. <laughs> well, why are you saying Wolfsbane's? Is that it's, her name? It's, it's, it's Wolfsbane? Yeah, it's, it's Wolfsbane, actually, yeah. It is Wolf's So yeah, so yeah. I was trying to say Wolf's Bane's I got like you. <laughs> uh about her resurrection and then like her just having this like very quiet moment like in this like super idyllic environment. It's just a just really nice couple of pages. 
you know that picture of her just like sitting there just like just appreciating the day i'm just like uh it's just so nice to see the x-men even have that option you know yeah yeah um and i'm really glad to see this she was killed in a way that pissed off a lot of people and uh, there was a lot of controversy surrounding her death. So for her to just be back and, you know, kind of shed all that and have her just be good. Because she died in a really traumatic way. To have her be back and just be good is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I I, I enjoyed this issue. I'm, I'm interested in following it moving forward, at least for the at the onset. Um, but I, I think... It's pretty clear that this doesn't necessarily have the heat that X-Men and Marauders did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, let's move on to probably the most controversial of all the titles that have released so far. Um, X-Force, number one. Now, X-Force, number one, is... X-Force, number one, is a really, really interesting book. Benjamin Percy, Joshua Kassara, Dean White... Um, it's gotten a lot of hate. It's gotten a lot of hate. And me personally, I don't get it. I really, really enjoyed this book. I did I not understand why people were so angry. Yeah, I went into it with a set of expectations because I saw so much negativity about it, you know? Um, and in some, some places, confusion. Uh, and... To me, like, it was pretty clear, like, where this fits into the broader, like, story of what's going on, and I think it has some pretty interesting implications, don't you? Yeah, I I mean, absolutely. I I can't even begin to imagine what it is that people, like, what did you think this book was going to be, right? Because one of the complaints was, oh, there's a lot of violence, and it's just like a typical violent X-book Okay, yeah, it's X-Force, right? So that's what happens in X-Force. X-Force is a violent X-Men book. Right. Um, so I didn't I didn't understand that. And then there was, uh, oh, oh, the X-Men are fighting the Court of Owls now. Okay, so any group that wears masks is just the Court of Owls at this point? Yeah, come on. You know, there was just a lot of, like, nitpicky stuff that, frankly, doesn't even merit a response. That's just... just frankly just dumb uh yeah i got i gotta agree with you man you know and like i don't know dude like i'm a pretty discerning reader like i'm i'm quick to call bullshit like we both liked that last issue and we like picked it apart like i don't i don't have those same criticisms about this issue i really don't this is this is one of my favorite of the the relaunch actually i really think if i had to pick three books to follow this would be one of them yeah of the books that I've released so far, for me, I go X-Men, uh, Marauders, and this, without question. So, it, it opens with uh, this this meeting of these, like, you know, human supremacists, this new human supremacist group, and uh, Domino's there, and she's undercover. They basically have to take blood in order to make sure that everyone there is human, which is a crazy way to make that determination. I feel like you could do that some other way. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But Domino gets found out and she ends up being the catalyst to how the Reavers later end up getting on Krakoa and tricking Krakoa into uh, not killing them or not, you know, the defense system's not activating. 
So I didn't totally understand that. Right. I'm, I'm assuming they used her blood to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. Did we? Did, was there another explanation there, or is that just like? No, I don't think there was. Um, I think you you either it was one of those things you either picked up or or not. Uh, I do feel like that could have been better explained, but um, there is that moment where uh, he says we require blood. Um, yeah, the second time. Yeah, and it. it it's a dual thing where it's like, okay, we're gonna kill you, right? But we're also gonna like use you. At least that's how I that's how I took it. That was how I took it as well. And then um, the, the fact that she hasn't been on the grid, I was like, okay, so she's dead. Yeah, um, and that was another thing that was really really controversial, and and people were very fast to point out that why should anyone care? about the death or violence in this issue if these characters can be easily resurrected and i mean okay like i guess you 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 so the characters can easily be be resurrected they still died it still hurts it's still like death that's not cool it's not like she was yeah she was still beaten to death and had her blood drained by a bunch of cultists like that's traumatic you know that's awful and I definitely had strong feelings because I care about Domino. It's not like, oh, well, okay, whatever. She'll live. When Wolverine gets hit by a nuclear bomb, do you just go, okay, whatever? No, you know he's going to come back. But damn, though, that hurts. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. and to me, like, to me, it's funny because to see people complaining, oh, why do we care? The death doesn't matter. The death never fucking matters in superhero books for starters. Um, or not never, but fucking real rarely. So that is already like a, a moot point as far as I'm concerned. Like to me, I actually think it, it's more interesting because Hickman has built a machine in universe that makes it make sense why they can come back from the dead. And every time that they come back, they know it and acknowledge it. And it's directly impactful on their character. Right. That makes it a million times more interesting and more impactful than any other Marvel or DC mainstream superhero death generally is. Cause it's like, Oh, they're dead for six months. And then here's some bullshit. They're back. No, it's like, no, like they're dead. Cause they're fucking soldiers who are going to die and die and live again. And guess what? That has really interesting implications. And like, I thought that they called it out really interestingly in the conversation, uh, in, in new mutants even, right. Where it's like, Oh, you died and came back. And that has a lot of implications about faith and fate and the universe. And do you want to talk about that? Right? Like there's clearly a psychological impact of that. And we have writers that are actually interested in addressing that. So, you know, the thing the thing is, though, that it's not just soldiers. And that's the thing that uh, I think makes it even more interesting is the fact that in this Fair. issue, we see the Reavers make it on to Krakoa. And the first person that dies is actually just a, just a mutant. And we easily forget that not all mutants are X-Men. Not and and a lot of mutant powers are actually not um, they're not offensive. They don't have a lot of mutants just look different. They don't actually have powers that work in in terms of self defense or anything like that. Um, and this book does a great job of establishing something that I was hoping we would get to see, which is the fact that the X Men think or mutants think that because they have Krakoa now they're safe, and that's not true. Um, 
and and Benjamin Percy had a great idea with this se- a very small sequence between Beast and Wolverine where Beast is actually uh, in this fight with a Krakoan native animal and Wolverine comes and helps him you know uh, uh, get out of this situation where his life might have been on the line and Wolverine basically tells him like you know every environment has predators and they're hiding in the spaces that we think are safe that that I thought that dialogue was so good like uh, that uh, and I I think specifically coming from Wolverine I really appreciate it because Wolverine is a soldier and a, a, a warrior and a survivor you know and like he's never gonna totally relax mm-hmm. you know and like that uh, that is like so important and I, I love the way he says every flower filled meadow's got a hawk or a wolf or a snake lingering nearby waiting for a taste yeah and like of course right they've built an island paradise and shut it off from the world you thought nobody was gonna come and try to take a piece of that for themselves mm-hmm. exactly yeah. and it it perfectly sets up what is this invasion by the Reavers, who just never seem to want to go away. Like, these guys have just been around and around. They just keep coming back. Um, but it's a real fight. It's a, it's a real fight um, between the X-Men and and these Reavers. You know, and again, the X-Men woefully unprepared. Um, before I move on, because there is a major thing that does happen, I want to call out a character who gets a spotlight here that really hasn't been touched on too, too much, who I really enjoyed, uh, is Black Tom Cassidy. Yeah. So this issue confirms, at least in my mind, something that we weren't quite sure about, or maybe I'm, or maybe I'm not remembering, but way back in, in uh, Powers of Ten, there was a character who... Uh, was who who, who Krakoa, right? But was also a mutant, and that was this guy. That was that was Black Tom. Pretty sure. That would make sense. Yeah, um, he's got Krakoa like growing all over him now and everything. So the thing with Black Tom is that his secondary mutation ended up being plant based a long time ago. So um, oh, I remember that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jonathan Hickman integrated that into his character now um something that you know kind of went under the radar after a while but that's clever i really loved his use here because black tom is not traditionally a hero and they gave him a role that i really appreciated and i love the moment between him and uh him and professor x where professor he's kind of telling him like hey man you know this is we're, we're too loose and professor x is like all mutants are to be trusted. And I think that that's such a dangerous thought. Oh, my God. Yeah, that there's no bad mutants. It's like that's never true about anyone, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but I guess we can move on and talk about the big moment in the book, which is uh, Professor X is shot and presumably killed by the Reavers. Yeah. And then Wolverine just absolutely loses it. Yeah. <laughs> he went berserk. Yeah. Like, he he the he guts that dude like a fish. Like, it's bad. And that, that shot of, uh, like, of Jean, like, trying to stop him, and then she's, like, yelling. I was like, oof. You can, like, feel it, you yeah. know? And then they just cut to him, and he's just covered in blood, you know? Like, mm-hmm. oof. Yeah. Rough. Really rough. 
The only problem that I had with that whole sequence, uh, and by the way, the art is so good. I thought for this issue, yeah, um, absolutely. The the only problem I had with that with that sequence is that I don't really believe that the X Men. I don't care how like you know idyllic they think Krakoa is and all that. I don't feel like a group of Reavers could come to Krakoa and catch bodies like that i feel like there are way too many powerful mutants for this to be possible the only thing that made me think that it it made sense is that it's it's a very isolated incident you know like granted they kill a bunch of people but they go right into a main area where people are living and shoot a bunch of people that are like presumably you know civilians like they're not x-men and some of them have powers, but, like, a lot of them probably don't or don't know how to use them that well. And a lot of the heavy hitters are spread out. You know, like, you've got the whole Summers clan living up on the moon. Kitty and the Marauders are off doing their thing. Like, Wolverine was across the island somewhere else when it happened. Jean was somewhere else when it happened. Like, yeah, there are lots of tough mutants, but, like, you get caught off guard and people just start firing into a crowd. A lot of people are going to die. Of course, one of the problems, though, with books like this, with, with, with premises like this, is that because it's not X-Men number one and it has a cast, certain characters can appear and others won't. So it's like if other characters had been around and not necessarily these, the situation goes down totally differently. You know, why is... Um, you know, Cyclops not around. I get that he lives on the moon, but Jean's here. You know, Wolverine's here. Uh, and they live on the moon too. So, you know, it's one of those things. And then, and and then this is my my only real like real frustration point with this issue is that Jean does nothing, and I am so tired of comic books that show her doing nothing. She, she always flies really fast. She always and does nothing. Nothing happens. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, she says some cool shit that one time, kind of, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to refocus on the art. This is a gritty-looking book, real, real gritty, which fits, of course, X-Force perfectly. Um, I love the way that the Marauders were depicted. We got a quick uh, quick appearance by the Marauders. I thought that was really cool. That boat was, like, fucking so beat to shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, covered in barnacles, and, like, it looks like a piece of trash. <laughs> uh, Joshua Kassara is not an artist that I'm familiar with. He served up some uh, lineal U this time around, uh, energy-wise. I got I got that, but a, but a, a cleaner style than uh, what U typically does. Less, uh, less uh, harsher lines. Uh, more filled out faces more often. I really, really appreciated that. And then the colors, man. Uh, Dean White is such a god when it comes to colors. They really pop. And it's it's a really uh, dark book. It doesn't. It it's the only book that I've read so far that doesn't feel like the rest of them, and that's perfect because it is X Force. So um, just just I just I just really like this issue. I had a very visceral reaction. When the Reavers came and started blowing people away, and I don't care that all these characters are going to come back. It's it, it's a, it, we know that no matter what book we're reading, it's the you know, moment it's the, that matters. You called it out. It's the fact that to me, the reason that moment works is because the first person that dies is just a person, and like, what's the first thing that happens? Right? Like, she's just, like you see, she's just having a conversation. 
you know, with like a friend and, you know, and then she gets shot and you cut to her child still holding her hand and she's bleeding out and she's mama, you know, like that kid's going to remember that forever. Like that's a real thing that happened. It doesn't matter that she's going to come back from the dead, you know? So, yeah, I don't, I don't, that criticism doesn't jive with me at all. Yeah. Um, I will say though, despite the fact that Jean does nothing, the scene of her where she just does like the 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 wave to fly real fast and she's like we were stupid and slow and careless and it's time to be smart and swift and violent. This can never happen again. I was like, what a fucking line. That's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and Benjamin Percy, you know, I've never read anything that he's written. Um and I don't know his chops, but this was a strong opening for him. Yeah, cons- considering I'm not really familiar with this creative team at all, like it's a real good first impression for me. Yeah, I, I like this issue a lot. There was also uh, last thing. There was also some uh, confusion for whatever reason as to uh, people thinking now that the deaths are permanent because they. A, because they couldn't find uh, Domino, and then B, because Professor X died. Or presumably died. We don't know that he's actually dead, although that last page makes it seem that way. Yeah. Um, and again, so... Whatever. Uh, why do you assume that no one but Professor X can resurrect people? Uh, it's a very wrong assumption, considering that we were told outright that that's not the case. And the thing with Domino, again, that was explained in universe if you pay attention to the books. Um, the mag- uh, I almost said Magneto. Um, Cerebro, p- it, it, their, their consciousness pings the server, basically. But it's not every day all the time. So in the conversation that they had, they were like, oh, she hasn't pinged the server in like two days or whatever. Like, we don't know what's up. Like, we got to keep looking for her. They, they, I, I'm pretty sure, and I might be wrong on the timeline, but the whole thing was that if they don't show up for a week, that's when they're resurrected. Something like that. Unless they know that they're dead. Yeah. So this is just previously established protocol because they said that they don't ever want to have uh, – uh, uh, they don't want to bring somebody back who's not dead and have two versions of them. Right. Which I kind of feel like might play into this a little bit, but yeah, you got to think it's going to happen eventually, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, in in any event, this is one of those things where it's like I wish we could just stop and enjoy the comic book. Um, when like let it happen and see where it's going to go. Right when Professor X died, I was like, oh my god, that sucks. You know what's going to happen? Just like a very, you know. Just going with the going with the going with the the book uh, response. Then I go on to Twitter and see what other people think, and it's like, oh my god, this doesn't make any sense. How are they going to resurrect people? Is death permanent now? And it's like I don't want to do the mental gymnastics to, even though it's it's quite simple. I'd rather just read the book and like let it tell me the story. Uh, and now I have to think about, well, how is it going to happen? And it takes away the moment of when they just do it. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me of when um, there is like a, a few jokes about this, like when Last Jedi came out and a lot of people were like, well, how does this make sense or how does that make sense or whatever? And it's like, well, there's another movie coming out. Right. So like maybe it's not supposed to make sense yet. And people I remember one of the jokes I saw was 
people taking uh, the events of Empire Strikes Back and being like, well, how does this make sense? And who's the emperor and this and that and the other thing and all the things that we as people now take for granted that you didn't know when that movie came out for the first time. Yeah. Right? So maybe just let it fucking happen and we can judge the end result, you know, because – I don't know. I just don't understand that that mindset, like in general, but especially not when you see how well House and Powers were executed. Right. Like, I'm I'm sure that there's a plan here. Yeah, I just wish people would take it easy. This is like literally issue one. Let's give it a let's give it a rest. Yeah, like we got eleven more of these things. Yeah, at, at least. Um, but that's gonna do it for our review. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought about X Force and New Mutants. Uh, both of them are books we enjoyed so far. Uh, the new relaunch is Batting 100, and we have one book left to go before we've read all the number ones. Next week, we will have our review for Fallen Angels number one, in addition to X-Men 2 and everyone's favorite book, Event Leviathan, which is wrapping up with number six. Ugh. Indeed. Thank God. If you're buying those books, if you're excited about those books, if you're not excited about those books, if you just want to say hello, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. We're happy to hear from you guys. If you want us on social media, we are at the Comics Pals over there. Basically, if you type the Comics Pals into any uh, search engine, you will find us and uh, you can engage with us how you please. Make sure that you guys check us out on YouTube. We've got plenty of great interviews up there with tons of your favorite creators. We've got non-interview content as well, so give all that a look. And make sure that you guys are checking out our We Watched Watchmen show, which is something new we're doing where we are following along with the Watchmen television show from HBO and reviewing that for you guys every single week. It's been a blast to do so far. The show's really, really good. You're missing out if you're not watching it. And uh, we'd love to have you join us over there. So, uh Give that, a, give that a listen. And then, of course, uh, when it comes to book clubs, we've got Uzumaki out right now, which uh, dropped a, a couple weeks ago or something. Uh, we've got just, just so many different ones. There's so much to check out. Uh, so give those a listen. We appreciate it. And uh, let's do some plugs. Pete. Thanks for joining us here in another episode of The Comics Pals. Like Sean said, uh, definitely bounce over to our YouTube channel. This week we'll have our uh, new edition of Fill Me In, as well as The Comics Pals vlog from New York Comic Con, marking the end of our New York Comic Con uh, content and coverage. Um, and we got a lot more coming to that platform uh, in the weeks to come. So uh, check it out. Go click that notification bell, all that stuff. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come talk to me about what's going on with X-Men because I'm – Really enjoying it, and uh, I would love to hear from more of you listeners out there who are enjoying it as well, because uh, I know a lot of you are jumping on now that we're checking out all this X-Men stuff, so if you're one of the new people, come come t- chat. Um, old people too, of course. Uh, if you want to get more content from me, you can go uh, visit me at PeteAndBessie.com and uh, check out my um, media intake blog post that I just did about September and October, because my website was hacked for two months, um, so I'm playing catch-up. <laughs> and uh, you can also bounce over to LootPots.com, where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, and the Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you want more podcasts from me, I'm, I'm, I've got you got options. Awesome. Uh, as for me... You can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about the X Men or, well, you know, Disney Plus or whatever else. Uh, and again, I want to reiterate: watch Watchmen and listen to our review show. Um, I think you will. I think you'll enjoy both quite a bit. So, with that, read the comics. Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See ya.
see you next week.